Let's do it. Hour number two of the program. It's 104.5 The Zone. It is Blaine and Mickey. It's Blaine and Will today. Mickey Ryan, a day off. I am Will Bowling. Happy to be sitting in for Mickey alongside Blaine Bishop. With you for the next hour, taking you up to 3HL. Lots to discuss in the world of Titans, in the world of the Nashville Predators, who have made it official. Dante Fabro is back. Two-year deal, $2.4 million a year. Uh, A defenseman who didn't do much last year, especially in the playoffs against the Carolina Hurricanes, officially back. That news breaking about 15 minutes ago on Twitter per the Nashville Predators. Blaine, uh, lots of Titans discussion today. Uh, Good to talk with John Glennon in hour number one. Going to talk some Vols coming up with Coach Doug Matthews here in about 15 minutes. Uh, But, of course, the big news for the Titans today, Matt Barkley in, Deshaun Kaiser out, another change to the Titans quarterback room. Yeah, that's, you know, kind of interesting. You know, we're hearing, you know, I guess reports that uh, Kaiser kind of messed up his his hand, throwing hand, and then still practice the next day, and then all of a sudden he's out, and and Matt Barkley's in, reported by, you know, Matt Barkley. That's right. It's a good source. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, I I don't think a lot of people are surprised. I know Pfizer, everybody's saying Pfizer wasn't doing, you know, so well at uh, at camp. But, uh, man, he has a lot of upside for me. It was well worth him being the third uh, quarterback or maybe even the quarterback that's, uh, you know, in the hotel by himself during the season if this COVID, you know, still becomes an issue. Uh, but I think they felt like he had they had enough and it's time to move forward. So we shall see, uh, you know, if those reports are true. But naturally, Matt Barkley said he's uh, going to be coming to Tennessee. So uh, as a backup and a guy who's he's got some uh, skin in the game as a starter as well as a backup came out uh, highly taunted and his stock kind of dropped to – not a big arm guy, but he's more of an accurate guy, manipulate the pocket, really good quarterback, just solid, good number two quarterback in the NFL. So uh, I don't think they can go wrong. I don't think he's a threat to Tannehill, and he won't ever be that even if he does even actually start uh, some games or so. So, yeah, you know, still solid, still building the roster. And where does that put Woodside, who's beat out everybody for that backup job and has earned it? So I'm a, be a, I'm a big fan of his, and I haven't even seen him in a regular season game. I just right. saw him develop over preseason games. Then last year, we didn't have any preseason game. So I, two years ago is when I saw him. That's when I said, okay, he took a big jump. You know, I actually I want to see him in a regular season game, but I don't know if we'll ever get to see that. Well, I think the Titans really value efficiency and continuity on their roster. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, what, I talk to Coach Mack about this at practice all the time. The efficiency of not wasting time at practice explaining what a coach wants from you as a player, where to go, what the next drill is, you know, what's going on. You've got a lot of guys now that have been there for a couple of years. Mike Vrabel and his coaching staff are certainly not new to the Tennessee Titans and to this roster. But I think the Titans really value guys that know where to be, know what's expected of them, know the language, know the system. My question to you, Blaine, is do the Titans value that too much? Do the Titans value a guy like Logan Woodside too much just because he's been there and knows the lay of the land over a lot of these different backup quarterbacks and different guys in the quarterback room who have come and gone with now Deshaun Kaiser, the most recent one, who 
doesn't maybe know the language, doesn't know what's expected of him as much as a Logan Woodside does. Well, he was on the practice squad uh, last year as well. Right. I'm, I'm right. not sure. You always want continuity, uh, but I don't think they overvalue it. They, they turn over the roster by what? How many percent? 40% sure. of the roster? So at some point, your leaders need to lead and let them lead the players and work to go. And they should be the ones at the front of each position group where you need to go and then everybody follow. You know, it's just like watching the Ducks in the lake. Just the lead, the lead duck is leading the way. So eventually you learn through the process. Uh, so you want continuity, but at the same time, you're always trying to upgrade. And if that means, you know, turning it over to some other veterans uh, or new players, young players, uh, so be it. So I, I don't know. If, I think that's what you gain in training camp. That's what training camp is really for. Sure. Uh, and so you trust the guy next to you that he'll do his job and, and you understand his tendencies and those things. Uh, so I would say you, you'd love to have it, but that's not going to be the end all be all. And I don't, I don't really think it is really per se, except for the leaders on this team. And that's probably mostly the, the big name guys uh, from Bayer to Tannehill to King and, and, and AJ Brown, you know, uh, you know, Luan, we can go down the list. Those guys are staple players, but they've had a, you know, turnover it. A tackle, they drafted a tackle, they've signed some. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't have all continuity there on the offensive line. So right. there's just one change there. Right. Defensively, you've having two changes up front, with uh, whether it's Tart or whoever else with Archery, uh, but who's a veteran player. Uh, cornerback, you got two starting new cornerbacks and a starting new safety. Uh, so you want to get that continuity at practice and getting to know one another, make sure that they're sharp. And then the veterans make sure that they're, you know, on the same point, on the same page uh, with communication. So, yeah, you know, every year is kind of a new year. That's why I think a lot of people are taking for granted going out there watching practice. And I'm a little concerned, and not overly, that Tannehill's throwing picks. Right. And, and the reason why I say that is he didn't show that last year. It's new. Right. Mm-hmm. So why is it this year he's doing it? Is it because the defense is better? Are the players better on defense? Are, are the receivers not on the same page? He has to develop new chemistry. Just because you had chemistry with A.J. Brown last year doesn't mean you're going to have it automatically like that. And there are a lot of new receivers in there. A lot of the talk is going to be about Julio Jones, which Mm -hmm. not a concern at all that that guy is not going through practice right now because, look, Julio Jones is going to know where to be. He's going to know what's going on. And I'm not worried about Julio Jones missing practice time and getting integrated into this system. The the thing I think that's maybe not being talked about enough is the amount of new wide receivers that are fighting for positions four, five, Absolutely. and six yes. at the wide receivers. It's deep. Chester Rogers, a guy that's out there, mm-hmm. Fred Brown, Cameron Batson, who's been there. You talk about continuity with him. Des Fitzpatrick, a guy who I think has been really impressive uh in a in the first seven days of Titans training camp. Practice. Who's this kid? Marcus Johnson. But Marcus Johnson, another guy. You've got about four or five receivers that look after that Ravens game last year, one of the big talking points was, Hey, the the play that ended that game, Ryan Tannehill is throwing a crucial pass on a big play to Khalif Raymond. No disrespect to Khalif Raymond who earned his spot on this team and was a good option. The Titans options further down on the wide receiver depth chart were as big of a concern for me as a lot of other Big talking points that I think were more well, heavily because Corey Davis wasn't out there during year. that time, right? They they exactly. pulled him. He was injured. I think it was back ankle. Right. One of the injuries that flared up, and, and they shut down AJ Brown at that point because without Corey Davis on the other side, it's easier to put a good corner and a, a Humphrey and have more help for a guy like that against AJ Brown. That to me is one of the most interesting discussions. I think that it, you you brought up is a great point. Is 
these other wide receivers gaining chemistry with Ryan Tannehill, it, that doesn't happen overnight. No. And there's a lot of veterans that have been around and younger guys like a Fred Brown who has been in Denver, been in other places fighting to make this team. Their ability to quickly get on the same page as Ryan Tannehill is crucial if those guys want to make this team. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think Tannehill is a great communicator, and that's why that will speed up the process. And we're talking that's about true. Julio Jones, and I'm not worried about Julio Jones. He is either uh, missing practice, but there is a he's not on an old team, a, a team that he used to be on. Sure. So it's still you have to go out there and actually do it. We could talk about it and be on the same page all you want to, but until it's live bullets, we need him out there at practice a certain stint, you know, at a certain point. You know, it's not now, but – you know, come, you know, two preseason games in and it's only a week or two weeks till the regular season. I'm hoping he's out of practice, if not every day, every other day. Doesn't have to do a lot. Right. You want to maintain his legs. He's done a lot in this league and still has a lot left, but you don't want to burn him out or get him re-injured or compensating an injury that he has now. It's minor at this point. So, yeah, you know, it's an exciting time for if you're a receiver. There's a lot of competition. You know, uh, a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Well, opportunity uh, leads to they always talk about iron sharpening iron. Uh So we shall see. Um, What's the what's the one kid whose brother plays for the Seahawks? I like him too. Hollister. Yeah. 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 I I really like the way he runs right. And I like his size. Continuity, too. Yeah. I I, I really like him. Yeah. He's been here. He's been on the practice squad. I want to feel like he's got a shot. Absolutely. Lots to discuss there. Uh, we will continue doing that over the course of our final hour here. But coming up next, Blaine, it's time to transition and talk some Vols. Coach Doug Matthews, always love talking to Coach, <laughs> will join us in studio next. The biggest thing Josh Heupel needs to achieve in his first fall camp with Tennessee. Plus, defensive coordinator Tim Banks had a quote that Lucas Panzeca and I discussed on the Ultimate Tennessee podcast here in the zone that I think is very interesting and tells us the kind of strategy Tennessee has to have defensively in order to be successful with a quick strike offense. We'll run all that by Coach Matthews. Coming up next, it's Blaine and Mickey, and it's 104.5 The Zone. It's Blaine and Mickey on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to be hanging out with you for the next 40 minutes alongside Blake Bishop. I am Will Bowling. Pleased to be joined by Coach Doug Matthews as we go on the road with Coach Doug Matthews. Brought to you by the Tennessee Highway Safety Office. Drunk you makes bad decisions, so make a plan before you party. The Tennessee Highway Safety Office reminds you that fans don't let fans drive drunk. Coach, it is great to see you. How are you? I'm doing very well. Good to be here. Yeah, no doubt, Blaine. Coach. Yeah. Great man, to see you again. Great, and, uh, great to have and, you on. And Will. Uh, gonna Live be, gonna in be person. Going to be a good year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I, I always get excited. I know it is. there are certain things that tell you that football season is right around the corner. You know, that first kind of cool morning or cool day. Had that this past week. You know, beginning of Titans training camp. And seeing Coach Doug Matthews inside the 104.5 The Zone building is how I know that football is almost here. <laughs> Well, it's good to be here, and it's uh, we got a good season coming up, I think. Yeah. Uh, after last year, I think everybody's really looking forward to going to games and participating in the tailgating, the fun things, if you're not a 
a player or a coach the fun things about the, going to ball games. Absolutely. Yeah, well, Coach, it looked like you've been at ball games already. You got a nice little tan there going on, man. Or you just been sitting poolside, you know, got, got, hanging got, out at your pool in your backyard. Well, you know, that's what old retired fired coaches do. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, that's what old retired players do too, right? I love it. John Gruden had started, I think, Fired Football Coaches Association, yes, FFCA. Yeah. You know, he yeah, had those visors he put he out. Did, he, he landed pretty much on his feet, I think. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Uh, yeah, I had a million dollar contract. I think he's doing fine. I like there. it. Absolutely. Um, so Tennessee camp opening up this week. Um, year one for a new head coach and their first fall camp. Um, Blaine and I were just talking about Titans training camp, how much the efficiency and the lack of wasted time is so important at practices in the NFL and obviously in college football as well. How much of a transition period is there for players to kind of learn, all right, this is what's expected of me. This is what a fall camp under this coach looks like. And really on the flip side for Coach Heupel, um, kind of learning what his players are like, what his staff, just everybody getting to know each other in a new setting like this. Well, there's no question that's that's really huge. It's big. I've heard Blaine say this, and he and I have kind of discussed it in other areas. But, you know, it's kind of like a player. When a player becomes a good player, he knows what to do, and he doesn't go out there having to think about where I line up, you know, what my technique's going to be. He plays. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way in practice. If you don't know, uh, where, you know exactly where you're supposed to go, if you don't know exactly how your coach likes to coach you and vice versa, you have to learn those things. And remember, you know, uh, these players, it's, it's a brand-new year for them. Uh, they had a spring practice that was, uh, you know, not a full spring practice because of COVID. Uh, a lot of a lot of teams are going through this, so it's it's very very key. And and I think this uh, training camp, this preseason, for the University of Tennessee, for most uh, for many colleges, quite frankly, is extremely important just from that standpoint. Cut. You really have about there's 29 practices or 29 potential practice mm-hmm. dates between the opening camp and that first ball game. Now most schools, that's if you go 29 straight days. Almost everybody's going <laughs> to give them a Sunday off or something else right. off, but. You got about 19 days as a player uh, to show that uh, that you can be part of a rotation, uh, that you can be a starter. And after that 19 days, as Blaine knows, you you go down. If you're not one of those travel guys, you go down that where that other jersey, and you become the demonstration team for the uh, <laughs> scout for the other team. team so. Oh man, that's right. I was a scout teamer at Ball State. That's right. I was um, for one year. It's so interesting that sophomore wide receiver Jimmy Calloway is saying this week that. It took him eight practices to get used to the tempo of practice under Josh Heupel. And he said his exact quote was, I had never run that much in my life. (laughs) How much is the pace of practice kind of set the tone for a Josh Heupel offense? When you want to play fast, I imagine you've got to practice that much quicker as well. I think that's the key. Uh, Coach Heupel will tell you, you get 40 seconds after the whistle blows to end a play. His goal is to try to get another play snap before it gets to 30 seconds. Now, that doesn't happen a whole lot. <laughs> but he was trying. He was trying. Right. trying, and it's going to be close. So you have to practice that. You're exactly right. I remember David Cutcliffe telling me when he, when he went to Duke and first started doing the fast-bake offense that who it really helped the most was his defense mm. because they got to be ready too, right. you know. And uh, I think the fact that a lot of the better teams are going with the up-tempo now on offense – the fact that your team is uh, doing it too, you get to practice against. You, you get a, is used to it. It's kind of like the old days in the wishbone. You know, if you if you went up against that wishbone, you, it, it it was a different type of offense, different type of tempo. Uh, but if you coached that, 
if your own offense ran that, it helps you a lot. So I think in the, these fast-paced offenses, which quite frankly, almost everybody's gone to now. Right. It's, uh, that, that's what we're going to be seeing in college football. Coach Doug Matthews on the road with us, presented by the Tennessee Highway Safety Office on 104.5 The Zone. Well, Coach Doug, um, man, you know, with that being said about the hurry-up offenses, I'm always intrigued on what style of defense, style, is best to offset that kind of offense. I'm really conflicted, and I don't, I don't even know. Do you want to, you know, bend on break defense? Do you want a blitzing style defense? Or do you just do a combination of a lot of different things, a 4-3, four, 3-4, three, three, four, just kind of doing a lot of different things because right now the offense is going to be your strength and it's going to be the bell cow of this team? Well, first off, regardless whether you're a four-man front or a three-man front, you're going to be a five-secondary. Now, you know, it's Everybody not three knows. linebackers and four defensive backs. It's five defensive backs, and many times it's six defensive backs. And the the thing that you have to be able to do now, you really can't play Blaine a whole lot of zone coverage because of the quarterbacks, the RPOs, uh, and also the fact that those quarterbacks will keep the ball and run it. So you have to have more defensive backs. You have to have more speed. Your linebackers are a little smaller or more agile so they can cover people. You know, one of the big big differences between the NFL and college football is the fact that even though there are some quarterbacks now that run, you don't have to count when, when you were playing with the Titans, you didn't have to account, a secondary didn't have to count for a quarterback running. Well, that's not true in college ball. I mean, all these guys can pull the ball down and run, and uh, it makes it much more difficult on that. And defensively, uh, I think any defensive coordinator will tell you now, it's really not about points that the other – defense uh, offense scores i mean it is but it isn't from this standpoint it's about getting off the field two or three more times on defense than the opponents do because everybody now is moving the football everybody's scoring points i mean if you can't score 30 points on offense now you're probably going to be a sub 500 team so that's what's changed where uh we uh, i as a coach you you as a player would would try to get keep a team under you under 20 points under three touchdowns if you held someone to 15 points you're probably going to win well you're definitely going to win now but that's moved up now to probably 28 30 points again it's getting off the field and letting your offense get one or two or three more series than the other offense does that's what college football's become right, well coach is about to educate us on how to handle coach Doug Matthews how to handle deciding the starting quarterback. Take us through the rotation. What are you looking for? Sometimes it's not the guy with the biggest arm, maybe the guy who everybody follows as a leader. I, I don't I don't know. How would you go about this process, and when would you make a decision, or would you make a decision? Would you go into the season with two guys in mind and kind of rotate them and have a package maybe for a third guy? I don't know. How do you approach it? It's so delicate to me. Well, just in theory, uh, we'll talk about Tennessee's situation, but you have to – your quarterback is certainly going to be the leader of your offense, no matter – you could have all seniors and a sophomore quarterback. Your quarterback is the leader of your offense, and many times it's the leader of the team. So you have to have that that part of it. And then the style of offense that Coach Heupel is playing up there right now, you got to be able to throw the football, and you got to be smart on where you go with it. Uh, up there, here's what I'm seeing, Blaine, and I'm just adding two to two, two and two on on uh, some of this, and hopefully coming up with four. But you know the. Uh, uh, he had four quarterbacks in spring ball. Right. One of them, a freshman, wasn't out there. But, uh, uh, well, that freshman left. He didn't recruit any of those players. After spring, Coach Heupel 
for some believed that he needed another quarterback and he mm-hmm. brought in Joe Milton from Michigan. Now, what does that tell me? That tells me that he probably wasn't happy right. mm-hmm. with the quarterbacks. Now, that, that may not be 100% right, but I don't think he had three underclassmen. You know you're going to lose one or two of those as soon as you name a starter. Uh, but he felt like he needed to bring in another quarterback. So that tells me if Joe Milton can come in and perform like they think he can, that he probably will have an inside track to that job. Now, having said that, it, it well could be one of the other three. Herndon Hooker came in from Virginia Tech. Of course, uh, Maurer has been there, and Bailey came in last year. But uh, uh, as I look at it outside looking in, I would say – you know, I would ask myself the question, why Why did they bring Joe Milton in? And uh, that I, I could be 100% wrong on that, but I don't think so. If they were really happy with the three quarterbacks, or even two of them, or maybe even one of them really happy, I don't believe they'd have brought in a young man that only has two years remaining uh, uh, of eligibility. Well, through your long history of being a coach, do you come out with a starting quarterback? Not name it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be UT. Are you naming the quarterback? What is your philosophy being a former coach, head coach? Do you say, okay, I want to name my quarterback at this point? Or do you kind of let it play itself? Well, you out? want somebody to step forward where, where because as you know, Blaine, I mean, anybody that's played, the players know who the quarterback's uh-huh. going to be. They I do. mean, they know who it's going to be if you're a defensive guy. Hopefully you have one that jumps to the forefront. If not, I could see him taking this thing all the way up to the Bowling Green game and maybe even further than that. But, uh, again, I would I would think he would uh, – I think he has a pretty good idea who who one or two are, you know, or the couple are. Uh, there's no way that, that all four of them are equal right now. Now, some of them may come on, but uh, – uh, I, I have to believe that he has a pretty good idea of at least who he wants it to be. But that person is going to have to earn it because no team, I, I talked about being the quarterback being the leader. He has to be the leader, and he has to earn that part of it. So, uh, uh, again, I would think, again, 10 days out, seven days out, he's going to have a really good idea. But th- those players, those offensive players in particular, they're going to know who that starting quarterback is going to be. I doubt very seriously if they name a quarterback, starting quarterback, before the first ball game, that Thursday night ball game, I would, uh, but the team's going to know who it is. No doubt about it. I know Will wants to go into a lot more detail. I want to ask one more question offset of, of UT, and it's just the SEC, and that is your thoughts on expansion and possibly being Texas as well as Oklahoma, uh, regardless of Clemson and Florida State denied that they, you know, reached out as well. But what do you think uh, is going to happen here and, and moving forward uh, with your knowledge in, in the game for so long? Well, I've really tried to talk to a lot of people about this that are knowledgeable in it. Uh, there's no doubt that Texas and Oklahoma are going to be there. Uh, they have uh, their board of regents has voted to apply. The Southeastern Conference has voted to accept. So the only question now is when is it going to happen? Uh, contractually, it should <laughs> not happen until after the 2025. I would be I'll be greatly shocked and very much surprised if they're not in the in the league by 2022 next year. Obviously, they can't be in this year. I'd be very surprised. I think it's great for college for for uh, Southeastern Conference football and and for football in general. I don't know how it's going to affect the uh, the rest of the country because uh, you now have when Oklahoma and Texas come into this league, you will have had six programs in the Southeastern Conference that have won a national championship in the last twenty five years. So it's going to make for great entertainment. Uh, Darn near every game. I mean, you're going to, the Southeastern Conference when they get here is going to have 
two or three matchups every week, maybe four, I mean, that are top 10 matchups that people are going to watch. And uh, uh, I think that just makes it better. Now, we're going to have to change. The Southeastern Conference have to, has to go from a division. They'll go to probably the pod, like the NFL does, oh, right. probably four, four-team divisions. I, I think that's 98% of where they are right now. Now, who's going to be in what division will be up for grabs on it. But, again, I, I'll be very surprised if uh, – if they're not here by 2022, they'll, they got a 60 some million dollar buyout per that'll be reduced down. I think the Southeastern conference of the teams will probably help to get them, uh, there financially to get in this league, because as soon as they show up in this league, everybody's going to be making 20, 30 million more dollars a year anyway, uh, per team. So, uh, uh, but from my standpoint, uh, I, I, it's just better football. It's just, yeah. You, you're, you got, you, you'll have a superior brand of football. Not that they don't play good in other areas, but if you look at a, a, a league-wise, you're going to have some outstanding ball games. We got Dougie Fresh, Coach Doug Matthews, <laughs> spitting, spitting, spitting the knowledge. <laughs> Coach, I, I think the best chance for this Tennessee defense to be successful this season is to be simple but very, very aggressive. And I say that because defensive coordinator Tim Banks said earlier this week, we have to play offense on defense. We talk a lot about the way offenses have evolved, the way these fast-paced, quick-strike offenses have become the norm in college football, but maybe we don't talk about as much how the defenses have, have kind of evolved as well to what those offenses do. Do you see this Tennessee team trying to blitz more, trying to be more aggressive, and overcome their lack of depth by just creating more turnovers and trying to be a big play defense? Really, the only reason teams blitz and pressure a whole lot uh, is if they cannot get there with their four-down linemen. Right. Uh, every every coordinator, I can assure you, and secondary coach would like to have seven guys dropping and four getting there. But if you can't get there with four, you have to bring more than that. Uh, but do I expect them to be very multiple? Absolutely. And the primary reason is because they've got, uh, they've got four seniors back there in the secondary. Now, only three of them will start. Uh, they don't have a lot of depth there, but they've got a lot of experience. But the key that goes to be able to blitz and pressure, you have to really be able to play a really high-quality uh, brand of man-to-man football. Mm. And uh, that is, that's difficult in this league because all of, these, uh, all of these offenses, they get the ball out of their hands quickly. They're going to get matchups. There's great receivers in this league. So you're you're you know no no defensive coordinator likes to blitz a whole lot but but they probably will do a significant amount of that absolutely. Well, and there's a lot of players too, coach, that you would think would factor into this starting lineup. Who again, like Joe Milton, weren't there for spring ball. And uh, Brandon Turnage, the the transfer at DB from Alabama, and Kamal Haddon, uh coming from Independence Community College by way of Auburn, where he basically just had a cup of coffee uh, this past semester. How quickly can guys like that at the cornerback position get integrated and get up to speed when they didn't have spring practice? Kind of interesting. You just mentioned Tennessee will have 24 new players, scholarship players coming in this class. 13 of them are transfers. They only have 11 freshmen. So mm-hmm. they went out and attacked the, uh, uh, the Mark mm-hmm. three of them are junior college transfers, the other transfer portal. They had to do that because they lost a lot of players. But uh, cornerback is certainly one of those areas. They, they'll have now, if, if these, uh, listen, Burrell and Taylor are quality, quality corners. Yeah, they are. 
George is a solid backup. And hopefully these two guys they brought in that you just mentioned are going to kind of help that area a little bit also. But uh, they don't have a lot of depth back there, but they got good talent. Uh, the one area that uh, is, is really uh, going to be interesting to watch is, is linebacker because they lost their two starters to transferring. Uh, Banks was hurt last year. Beasley was just, uh, you know, got suspended for mm-hmm. kicking a cat, I think is what he got suspended right, for. Right. Uh, probably a little bit more than that. Yeah. But, uh, but defensively, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to have to play, uh, they're going to play well coached. Uh, they're going to have to play smart. And as you said, they're going to have to have an attacking defense. One thing though about that is every coordinator, including me when I was coordinator, tell you, you want to be a offensive uh, you want to be an offensive defense, right? But the problem is when you get out there, sometimes you don't have the talent to be <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and that offense has a little bit something to do with it, also. Absolutely, uh, coach. Last thing before we let you go, uh, Trey Smith already starting and all reports saying dominating at Kansas City Chiefs camp. I, I'm. It's it's funny to see Chiefs writers and people that didn't watch Trey Smith in college be surprised by this, and to us who have seen him play for so long. It's the least surprising thing I've seen the last week of NFL news. You know, you, you be uh, I've I've been uh, associated in one way or the other Tennessee since 1980, uh, and there have been a few players that have come through that for whatever reason, injury or other things, just are maybe playing out of position. Trey Smith, though, is one of those, uh, and I don't know how you can be a Tennessee fan and not love this kid oh, because yeah. he had so many opportunities. You know. Last year, he literally did not take a full-speed snap in pads right. in practice. Wow. And he goes out there and plays in the ball game. And uh, great family. Uh, we say that about a lot of kids. He has a great family. Uh, and I wish the best for him. And he is a tremendously talented player that was not able to reach his potential because of not being able to work out, of course, all the, the problems he had with the blood clots and things like that. But uh, I don't know a single. Uh, I know a lot of Tennessee fans. I don't know a single one that's not not rooting for Trey Smith. He's he's what you're looking for when you recruit players. Believe me. On the road with Coach Doug Matthews, drunk driving is the ultimate form of unsportsmanlike conduct. The Tennessee Highway Safety Office reminds you that fans don't let fans drive drunk. Coach, always good to see you. Appreciate see, the time. See you next Thursday. That's Appreciate right, it, Coach. Absolutely. Uh, great to talk with Coach. Lots to discuss on the Vols front as well and uh look as a listener i'm looking forward to hearing coach thursdays right here yes lady mickey and 104.5 the zone when we come back we will finish up the show uh get you ready uh for your thursday night and your friday been a quick week we'll wrap it up here coming up next on 104.5 the zone One final segment coming at you it's blaine and mickey on 104.5 the zone 3HL on deck, ready to get you through your Thursday commute, your Thursday afternoon. Always good to talk with Coach Matthews. Always good to talk with you, Blaine Bishop, filling in for uh, Mickey Ryan today. Always enjoy hanging out with you guys. Fun show. Feelings mutual, man. Yeah, I I feel like I've seen you two days in a row, man. I don't know, man. It's it's not going well. Uh, (laughs) I know, I know, I know. Uh, Titans with a roster move here at the end of the show. Uh, veteran offensive tackle and guard. I'm going to butcher this name. Brent. Well, better you than me. Quavale? Lucas? Oh, wow. Why do we Question mark. It's spelled Q-V-A-L-E. 
Lucas is not. Lucas, Lucas is actually, you're not our translator. Lucas is in the hallway talking with somebody in oh, the green my. room right now. He's not talking. To I'm going to wait for let, let Lucas to be able to get it for you. Anyway, yeah. um, former Texans offensive lineman staying in the division with the Titans. Uh, Brent, we're going to go with Quavale. Roster move by the Tennessee Titans here at the end of the show, so courtesy of Ian Rappaport. Not official. Thirty-year-old, six foot seven, three hundred fifteen pounds, six-year veteran, seventy-seven games, including eighteen starts per our friend John Glennon. Fourteen games for the Texans last year and three starts. Did we have to make a roster spot for somebody? I mean, did we have to cut somebody? Yeah, that is a good question of what the corresponding move will be here. And, and we'll then wait and see. And then taking it another layer in the question box is why an offensive lineman? It's an interesting move. Uh huh. Are are they uh, going to make uh, the rookie second rounder move to guard and stay there and not having focus on that and not tackle where they've been kind of moving around where they need them? With some guys getting nicked up here or there, and is that slowing his, you know, progress as a player? And say, hey, if we leave him in one spot, maybe he can develop a little bit faster. I don't Brent Quali, Quali. That is the pronunciation. Brent Quali, the newest Tennessee Titan per Ian Rappaport. I was asking Buck Rising this earlier um, because Dylan Radens, as he gets up to speed in this Titans offense little bit of a slow transition for him over the past couple of days uh that is a big tackle listed at six foot six 301 some of these smaller edge rushers specifically ola daney at, uh, at practice the other day able to kind of use their speed to get around him i think dylan radens has a little and their smallness right <laughs> right dylan radens i think i i would I would say it is a safe bet at this point to say that kendall lamb is your right tackle day one when the Titans host the Arizona Cardinals. Okay. Based on what I've seen, based on conversations I've had just with other people that are watching practice at St. Thomas Sports Park, not that Dylan Radins is behind schedule, not that this is a really big concern at this point. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a safe bet that when you bring in a veteran and you take a guy in the second round, specifically at tackle, this is not even like a Nate Davis at guard where – you're regularly taking guys second, third, fourth round who you expect to immediately contribute at the interior offensive line positions. I don't think that's necessarily the case at a tackle position. I think if you're wanting to start a tackle day one, you're taking a first-round pick at tackle. This is kind of an in-between. You take a guy in the second, I think Kendall Lamb, it's a safe bet to say that week one, Titans-Cardinals, he's your starter. I think what you're saying is true in a broad brush, but it just depends on the development of the player. Let's say you get a guy, uh, you know, we just saw, we just talked about Trey Smith going to six round, whether he deserved to go into six round or not, he should have been a high draft pick. Uh, but, you know, you can get an offensive tackle and go third or fourth round. Let's go John Runyon. I think he was a third or fourth rounder. If he's prepared to play at this level and they stick him at one spot and he learns all the verbiage, and uh, all you know, gets all the knowledge and is technically sound already. You just got to tweak him a little bit here and there. You got to think about it. Raiden's only played one game last year, and he was playing it really one double A. Let's give it that. I don't. I don't know what they want to call it, but uh, so it's you know. So he has to develop over time and become a technician. Uh, so I, I wasn't expecting him to start right away. Uh, maybe some people would be, but uh, I always want to go with a veteran, and because it's where your team is at right now. 
you're trying to, and that's the whole reason behind the kicking game for me too. Was if you're 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 thinking you're a team that's going to push for a Super Bowl run, you got to have experience at certain positions, and you can't be relying on a rookie unless you're going to go with them all in at the beginning, the beginning. So I'm thinking right. about that as a tackle as well as a kicker or any other spots. Uh, I want veteran guys to have experience. If not, you you must trust in them and believe in them a lot. And so throw them out there right away. One thing you like here as well, Brent Qualley, a guy that has played tackle and Quali. guard in his career. I think he, watch this. Where did he go to college? <laughs> <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. I have uh, no idea. Nebraska Cornhusker. Hey, oh, yeah, yeah. oh okay. Go. So he's right. down there with Will Compton. He's 30 years old. Maybe they were actually good when he was there. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah, Compton's around that age, right? I think you, yeah. I think you want, what, when you're, you're adding a depth piece on the offensive line, you want the multiplicity of a guy that can play inside Absolutely. and outside. Because in a pinch, uh, you're really you're you're filling two backup spots by adding a guy like this, especially on 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 game day when you're trying to right. get rosters. And you want a guy who's a flex guy, sure, has multiple you know positions he can play. That way, you can then just dress one of those guys and then move to another position. Right about on special teams. Yeah. Interested to see the corresponding move. Uh, not a not a big change, not a big move. We've seen a lot of different big guys in the rotation. Mike Vrabel's been visibly upset with the amount of snaps that have been dropped by backup centers with the twos or with that third group. So we, we've seen kind of a, a rotation of a lot of different guys in there, and this is the newest name to add to that list. Fun show today, Blaine. Yeah, man, always fun, man. Hanging Flew out by. with you, youngster. Flew by. <laughs> uh, make sure you check out the podcast if you missed any of our conversations. John Glennon in Hour 1 talking about the addition of Matt Barkley, Coach Doug Matthews. In hour number two, we covered it all. Yeah, and then you have your podcast talking about UT, right? That's right. The Ultimate Tennessee Podcast, me and Lucas Panzica talking about our biggest takeaways from Tennessee football media days. Check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Coming up next, it's 3HL. They will get you home on your Thursday afternoon drive. Fun show. We'll do it again soon on 104.5 The Zone. As always. Happy Thursday! Peace!